Tonight's scripture reading is from Romans 8, verses 9 through 14. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. The word of the Lord. Amen. So, victory. Isn't that exciting to talk about victory? It's not necessarily exciting when you're the pastor and you're preaching on a series of victory. And then like three days before you go preach, you feel defeated. <laughs> you really got to start preaching to yourself. So if, if, um, it's, it's really encouraging to me when I pray to the Lord that he knows the struggles that we go through. It really is. Because oftentimes we try to be perfect and we, we fail at that. Uh, it's really encouraging to me that, that he was perfect when I wasn't. And so I hope you realize that um, as you struggle through walking in life and we become more and more victorious, that uh, your pastors and your ministers and your leaders in the church, uh, the family members in the church and your friends here understand and invite you into struggle with us as we struggle to figure out what this victory looks like. That's what this series is about, living a life of victory. And we have that victory in Jesus, but many times we don't feel like we do. We believe things about ourselves that aren't true, which causes us to live lives in defeat. Victory means life, and tonight we talk about the same enemy that we all share, death. And we're going to see tonight that we will have victory because life comes through death. I received a phone call a few weeks ago. There was a man who informed me that I needed his help because their records showed that my computer had picked up a virus and my Microsoft system was infected. So they needed to run some scans on the computer to fix the problem. There was one glaring problem about this, number, and that problem is I only have Apple products. So there's zero Microsoft on any of my uh, work or home computers. So I decided, I'm going to have a little fun with this. So I said, you know, that sounds really bad. How do you, how do you think this happened? Well, it could have been this, it could have been that. I was like, oh, man, okay. Uh, do, you think, do you think my mother-in-law could have done this? I don't think she likes me. Do you think she could have done that? And he was like, uh, no, I don't know. We'll run some scans or whatever. We'll do this right here. So as he started to try to walk me through the process... I kept interrupting him with more and more questions. Hey, do you think it could be my kids that did this? I don't really trust them very much. I think one of them is diluting my water at mealtime. <laughs> and he was like, doing a good job and keep it going, you know. And I, but I figured the longer I had him on the line, the less time he would spend trying to scam other people because it was obviously a scam. But finally, I needed to get back to work because John told me, Daniel, it's time to get back to work. <laughs> And I said, uh, man, listen, you need to repent and ask Jesus to forgive you. 
because you are trying to scam people. I know your tricks. You need to repent and ask Jesus to forgive you. And he responded. And he called me a few choice names and hung up on me. So I don't think he repented. But I had a little fun with it, and then uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to throw Jesus in there somehow see how that worked out. But I, the question I have is, on that situation, why was it so easy for me to dismiss his fraudulent claim over my life? Immediately I knew it was fake, and it had no power over me. Why? Well, number one, because I don't have anything that's Microsoft, so that's bogus to begin with. Number two, I'd read about scams like this before, so I was aware that people try to do this to get you to run things and, um, and get you to pay for software that you don't need. I had facts. I had knowledge that empowered me not to fall for this lie. In the same way, Satan's going to try to come into your lives, and he's going to try to make claims over your life. And he's going to try to tell you that, look, you have an obligation to do what I tell you to do. You don't have power over this. He's going to try to tell you that you need him to feel better about yourselves. That you need what he is offering to you to be happy. He's going to tell you that you are powerless to resist him. And that you should just get used to walking in defeat. But just like the man who called me, if you belong to Christ... He is making a fraudulent claim over you. He is trying to get you to buy a lie and start living a life of defeat when Jesus Christ has given you what? Victory. I don't think you should toy around with Satan the way I did with the the scammer on the phone because the consequences of toying around with him are much dire than having a guy call you a few choice words and hanging up on you. That happens every day. <laughs> Remember I mentioned my kids? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it wasn't my kids that do that. What God says about you is drastically different. When the temptation to sin arises within us, and that temptation finds that connection, and it, we want to go with it, what we're to do is to put those deeds, those things, we're to put them to death. And we're not to keep them at arm's length and just put up little boundaries around us to kind of keep them away. But the Word of God tells us to put them to death. And so we're going to see that four ways tonight that life, victory in life, comes through death. And we'll start with number one. It'll pop up on the screen. And it says, we have an obligation to the Lord as His children. So the first step of the first way to have life through death is to realize who you are. The first step is to realize you belong to God. So children of God do not owe anything to the enemies of God. You have rights and privileges and, as a, and you have status as a child of God. You belong to Him. Look with me in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. It reads, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God... These are the sons of God. So we're going to talk more about this verse specifically next week, but I had to jump into this to help us understand number 12 and uh, 13 better. We're going to pull one concept of this verse for this week. That concept is the fact that all people who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. And so we're going to look at the sons of God part. Sons here means children. It doesn't just mean 
that only the men are able to become children of God. But in the context that Paul was writing in, the daughters of men did not have rights of inheritance. And so Paul was proving a point from the culture within he worked and said, all who are led by the Spirit of God are inheritance, children, empowered by the, uh, of God. They belong to Him. Their worth and status uh, back then for women was determined by their husband. So Paul was just using this to let, us, let them know that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons. They have sonship to God. They belong to Him in this deep way. So the first thing that uh, in order for us to have victory, to realize that life comes through death, is to know who you are. Are you a child of God? Which leads us to number two. We are not obligated to the flesh. So if you're a child of God, then we as children of God are not obligated to the flesh. Two weeks ago, we looked at the word flesh, and there would be, it would be nice if we had a different word for that, and, and, but we, it, it's actually better if we just learn what that means, so I'll review it quickly. Flesh is not simply the physical world around us. It's not simply our physical bodies or the physical things around us. But flesh is things or people that share the corruptibility and mortality of the world and also participate in the rebellion of the world. So it's a negative term. It's bad. The physical world was created good. We know that from the Scriptures. But it's wrong to abuse the physical world. It's wrong to corrupt it. It's wrong to deface it. Flesh goes against the way God created it and the way God intended it for it to be used. So how do we treat, uh, how we treat the earth matters to the Lord. How we treat others matters to God. How we treat our own bodies matters to Him. So flesh means that we are participating in the corruption, defilement of God's creation, whether it be the physical earth or these physical bodies that He has given to us. So as God's children... He says to us in the verse that we're going to see here that we are free from this obligation to this flesh, this corruption, because we have victory. So to pop up on the screen, Romans 12, 12. It says, So then, brethren, we are under obligation. We are under obligation, but it's not to the flesh. We're not to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, the ways of corruption and defilement, you must what? Die. Die. You must die. We are under no obligation as children of God to live according to the flesh. Because if we were living according to the flesh, we would die. Death would be victorious instead of the children. So does this mean that a child of God can lose their salvation? That we come to faith in Christ and then we start sinning and living according to the flesh? No. But here's what it does mean. It does mean that a child of God will not continue in that persistent pattern of sin. That the Lord will pull them out of that. There will be conviction. Not a conviction of your sin, but a conviction of your righteousness. That this is not who you are. This is not how I've created you to be. You are my child. You have victory. You will no longer live in this. And so we can live in misery for a while, but God will pull us out of that through the Holy Spirit, through our church. There will be repentance, and there will be a fight against this sin. There will be a struggle. There won't be an embracing of it. This is tied to, number one, knowing who you are. I want to read from Colossians chapter 3. This is another letter that Paul 
wrote, and this is a section in chapter 3. It says, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body. Okay? So this is my body. Consider your members, your physical body, as dead. This is another way death gets brought out as to how we have life through death. Consider these as dead to immorality. That means sexual immorality. Dead to impurity. Dead to passion. This is not like passion like you're passionate about a sports team or passionate about Jesus. This is like a sexual irreverent passion. Evil desire and greed, which amounts to idolatry. He says, consider your bodies dead to these things. Next verse. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Now hold right there. We just talked about the sons of God, didn't we? That they will be sons of God. And now it's talking about because of this, the God's wrath will come upon the sons of disobedience. Okay, let's keep going. And in them, you also once walked when you were living in them. But now... You also put them aside. Put these things aside. It's anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive, abusive speech from your mouth. This is basically saying don't get on Facebook. <laughs> Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put away, or excuse me, have put on the new self who is being renewed to a new knowledge, to, the, to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. This is a rich section of Scripture that we don't have time to go into totally. But one thing I want to pull from here is that according to the Bible and according to standard Christian doctrine, not all people are children of God. Because of sin, we are not children of God if there is no repentance, if there is no Christ. If that is the case for us, then we will remain a son or a child of disobedience. And the wrath and the judgment of God will come upon sin and it will eradicate it. And that sounds like a horrible thing. But would you ever want to live in a world that had more wrath and more anger and more malice than the world we live in right now? It is a good thing for God to eradicate sin from this world. But the Christian narrative of the story continues. Remember, the gospel means good news. That's the bad news. The good news is this. Something wonderful has happened. Jesus, because He was the one Sent by God, He is the one who took that wrath for us. He became the bastard son of God and became the son of disobedience on the cross. And He took all of that wrath and anger and sexual morality and all of those things and He took it upon His shoulders and He died so that we could live. This is how life comes through death ultimately because Jesus was forsaken he was abandoned by his father so that you and I could become children of God. There's a cultural narrative that goes against the biblical narrative. 
Last night on SNL, there was a comedian, Aziz Ansari. Anybody see that? A few of you? It was really funny. Um, I like him a lot. He's got a, his voice is very soothing or something. I don't know, but his, his delivery is, uh, his voice is soothing. I sound a little, anyway, he's easy to listen to, okay? Um, and he's funny too. So the opening monologue says some great things, you know, comedy is a good place to, to put in some, uh, some good points for culture and it can move people. But he made some good points in his comedy uh, skit. He said, uh, it's unfair to demonize all those who voted for Trump in the camp and demonize them at, in the camp of racist." Because some of them voted for him, but don't approve of everything about him. And I thought that was really good. Uh, he compared him to uh, Chris Brown, who evidently is a, an artist, a singer, and uh, his music. Some people will say, I like his song. I just like to dance to his song, but I don't approve of the things he does. Because <laughs> I think he's gotten in some trouble. Um, so uh, it, it was funny. So you just watch that if you want to laugh. You can laugh later, and just, I'll, I'll just point you to it. He also said that we're divided which we know that, right, as a country. We live in a divided country. He said, we're divided, and it's okay. But we should treat each other with respect. It's like, that's really good. He's, and, he, and then he did right, too. He condemned those who were filled with hatred toward minorities. That's good. We, shouldn't, uh, we should call people out when they are hate, hateful toward other people, no matter who they are. But then he said something that our culture preaches constantly. And it may be difficult for you to hear this. It may be something that you believe. But he said this. He said, when he talked about Islamophobia, he said the God of Islam is the same God that was revealed to Abraham. The same as Judaism and Christianity. The same God. And he kept going. Everything else I think he said sounded pretty good. I haven't looked at all of it. But this part sounds great. It sounds loving. It it breathes compassion. However, it's offensive to every Muslim and every Jew and every Christian. Each of these religions, if you take them three, agree that there is only one God. So if that were what he said, we would agree. Each one of those teach monotheism. There is one God. But each one of these religions have irreconcilable differences which if you're familiar with divorce laws in our state, in our, in our nation, that's one of the things that is often cited in marriages when they dissolve. Irreconcilable differences. In doctrine, they teach things that contradict. So they can't marry. They can't become the same thing. They can't enter covenant together. And the biggest reason why they can't be the same is Jesus of Nazareth. They're entirely different reasons and views on who he is. Christianity preaches the death, burial, and resurrection, not just of Jesus of Nazareth, but Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Son of God. The Son of God. The Jewish faith and the Muslim faith both deny this. Neither of them believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Did you know I used to be a taxi driver? Anybody? Uh, some of you did? Yeah, my wife knew. <laughs> so I used to be a yellow taxi driver, and I had some really interesting conversations. I went to taxi school, and I went to lunch with two guys who had just moved here from Morocco, and uh, we had a great lunch, and so they, we started talking, and uh, they were Muslim, and uh, they said, well, do you have religion? I said, yes, I'm a Christian, and uh, so we started talking about it. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, do you know anything about Christianity? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys believe in three gods. I said, like, oh, no, 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 we don't believe in three gods. Yeah, you do. You, you, the Father, Son, and then some other thing, and uh, <laughs> 
was like, no, 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 we believe in one God, like you. You believe in one God, we believe in one God. And then I did my best to explain the Trinity, which, you know, that's hard to do. But we believe that, that Jesus is the Son of God. And so as we talked, we had a very good conversation about our differences. But we don't have the same God. Because my God is Jesus. And their God is not Jesus. My God is Jesus when it comes to the Jewish faith. They're, they're still waiting for their Messiah. So we don't have the same God. As funny as Aziz is, and as much as I agree with him, there'll never be a day when I will say that these religions are equal and worship the same God. Because my faith in Jesus, it will always be the day for me to love my neighbors of different faith and not just love them where they are, but listen carefully to pray for them to have saving faith in Jesus. It's time the Christian church kind of wakes up to this. We've kind of forgotten that in this pluralistic society. And we don't know how to engage. Because honestly, I'm afraid to engage a lot of conversations because I've seen and I've experienced people pushing back and I've experienced hatred toward me online because of views that we've had as our church. Standard Christian views that the world knows about. I understand why it's not easy to have these conversations. But what we're experiencing is nothing new. Shame on us if we think that what we're going through is tough and the apostles, what they went through, didn't compare to what we're going through. This same Paul who wrote this letter to Romans was being held as a prisoner. And he made a plea before the king, Agrippa, He was doing all he could as a prisoner to the king to persuade the king who held his life in his hands to become a Christian. Not a believer in God in common in all things, but a Christian, one who belonged to the Son of God named Jesus Christ. A Christian, one who belongs to Christ. That's what Christian means. It's like American, one who belongs to Christ. Very specific. So listen to this part of the story, and you can read it along with me in the Bible It's recorded in the book of Acts. Acts is a fantastic book to read, by the way. Acts chapter 26, verse 24 and following. It reads this. While Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus, who was another guy, not the king, said in a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your your great learning is driving you mad. So back up to that verse. What you're seeing right here is Paul, a great scholar, an intellectual, being accused of checking his intellect at the door because of his faith in Christ. I've heard that. Only morons believe in a God who created. You have to be dumb to believe in something like that. We shouldn't think that what we're going through now, anything that you go through now, you can find evidences of that happening in the Scripture. Let's keep going. But Paul said this. Dude, I'm not... He didn't say dude. Actually, I put that in. He said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. They're heavy words. For the king knows about these matters. And the king he's talking about here is Agrippa. The king knows about these matters. And I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice. 
For this has not been done in a corner. Oh no, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? This all happened in public square, this Jesus stuff, okay? It wasn't in a corner. He said, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do, King. And Agrippa replied to Paul, this is a great reply, in a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian. How cool is that? Now listen to Paul's response right here. Paul said, not just I'm happy that you're able to become a Christian. That would make me happy. But he says, I would, I would wish to God that whether in a short time or a long time, whatever time it takes, not only you, king, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am. Except for these chains, of course. I don't want you to have to go to prison for what you believe, but I want you to believe in the Christ to be a Christian. He said, I wish to God that all of you would believe in the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, the chosen one, the only son of God, the one true God. If you live and do not trust in Christ, then death looms for you and it will defeat you. That was the passion that Paul had. For years, his name was Saul and he persecuted the church of Jesus. And he sees how bad that was because he was persecuting his very brothers and sisters in Christ. This passion is what originally ignited in my heart six or seven years ago when we started praying about coming to New York City. Is because I actually met people who had never heard the name of Jesus, and I wanted them to believe. This is why the Mayberries chose to accept our invitation to come and plant a church with us together. This is why John Wojo moved here. And Emily's why he's staying. (laughs) This is why so many of you are here. You believe in Jesus. You believe in him. You believe in him. He's not just your savior, but you believe that he is the savior of the world. This is what you believe. So many of you. This is why so many of you refuse to come here by yourselves. Because you know that what you have in Christ is worth bringing people to church and to connect groups for. Christ gives us victory over the flesh. Number three. We must put to death the deeds of the flesh. So the Christian life is a life of victory, but we as Christians must put to death the deeds of the flesh. Now, Jesus secured the victory, decidedly. That's done. But you and I have a responsibility. We are obligated to engage the battle of faith and fight against the flesh. In verse 13 of Romans chapter 8, it reads this, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die, but if by the Spirit, if you are living by the Spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of the bodies. If you're doing that, you will what? Live. You'll have life through putting these to death. Now, keep that up there because the words, it says putting to death. If by the Spirit you are putting to death. Now, the Greek word here means that there's a continuing action. So it's not just something that you decided, okay, I'm putting that to death. Now I'm done with it. But it's a continuing action that you live a life of doing this. That means when you wake up in the morning, put that flesh to death. Reminded of who it is. That it's gone. That you belong to the Son of God. It's actively fighting against the false claims, remember? These fraudulent claims that are over your life. 
So instead of speaking and believing the lie, you say, you know what? I am not a liar. I am a child of God. I am not a drunkard. I am a child of God. I am not given to anger. I am not given to malice. I am a child of God. I do not lack self-control. I am a child of God. I will not make an idol of sex, power, or money because I am a child of God. I, listen to this one, am no longer a sinner, but I am saved by grace and I am a what? A child of God. Don't toy around with sin in the flesh the way I like to toy around with telephone scammers. That's a lot of fun. But toying around with sin can have devastating effects on our lives. When temptation shows up and appeals to you, you don't keep it at arm's length, you put it to death. This doesn't mean that the people who tempt you, you put them to death. That's not what I'm saying. For those of you listening online, I did not say that. But it means putting to death this inner voice that's within you that is attracted and lured by this temptation. It's your old self trying to get out of there, your old life. But tell that voice that's trying to come out of you, no, you are dead to me. I am alive in Christ. Speak victory over your lives and remember that you are a child of God purchased by Jesus. And the most encouraging point is number four. You were so good this week, I threw in an extra point. Number four, the Spirit of God is our power. This is where victory wins. Don't try to win by your own power, because if you do it by yourselves, you're going to be defeated. The way we have victory over temptation is this. The Spirit of God lives within the believer. And the way we have victory over that is to listen to the Spirit's promptings within our lives. We know when things are not right that we shouldn't do. And when we don't, the Spirit of God tells us. When we walk in fellowship with the Spirit of God, surrendering to Him and walking in unison with Him, then the cravings of the flesh are going to be starved. And it's going to become weaker and weaker and weaker. And if we're walking in victory with, uh, walking with the, the Spirit, we will walk in constant victory. It's when we break fellowship with the Spirit, we say, you know what, I'm just going to do my own thing because it's Friday and I had a long week. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And it can happen on Thursday, too. It doesn't have to be Friday. But we, we break from the Spirit of God, and we decide to do our own thing, or we get angry, and we're not seeing the results we want because we're waiting here for Jesus, and you're not answering fast enough, so forget this. I'm going to do what I want to do. And then we cross a line. Some of us struggle with believing that there is a powerful, life-giving Holy Spirit living within us. And maybe some of us don't have that spirit living within us. For those of us who do, oh, this is, this is terrible. We actually think that Satan is stronger than Jesus when we say that I'm just going to have to get used to living this life of sin. I'm just going to have to get used to being this. This is going to be my struggle in life. No! You have victory. Jesus was dead. You know that, right? And like three days later, they were coming to anoint a dead body 
and then he was resurrected from the dead? That's pretty crazy, right? That's what you say when you say, I'm a Christian. I believe the impossible became possible. So if you're going to believe that, why are you going to sit here and think that you can't stop watching stuff you shouldn't watch? Having relationships you shouldn't have. I struggle with it. You know why? Because sometimes I just don't believe enough. I forget who I am. Stress of life gets on you. Sometimes you just feel like giving up. You're not seeing the results you want to see. So sometimes you just kind of say, forget it. Well, I'm here to remind myself and you that you are a child of God and you have victory. We are not obligated to the flesh. But being rescued by Jesus does obligate us. It obligates us to the Lord. And when we trust in the work of Jesus for our forgiveness, when we trust in Him for reconciliation with God, then we see how gracious He has been to us. And our only response when we see how great He's been to us is a response of gratitude and obedience. When we don't see that, when we don't focus on the victory, we don't focus on how valuable He is, then we start to really just not care who Jesus is or what He says. But it's a beautiful thing when we do. Watchman Nee is, uh, is Chinese, or was. He's passed away now. Very uh, famous in uh, Christian circles for uh, books that he, he wrote many times. Uh, a lot of good, wonderful books. I'd recommend pretty much anything he read. But I want to share the, this testimony from, uh, from one of his books. He talks about how he came to faith in Christ. He said, on the evening of 28th April, 1920, I was alone in my room, struggling to decide whether or not to believe in the Lord. At first, I was reluctant, but as I tried to pray, I saw the magnitude of my sins and the reality and efficacy, which efficacy means the ability to to complete and do a job. Think efficiency. I saw the reality and the efficacy that of Jesus Christ as Savior, that he was really able to do this. So this magnitude of the sins, and that he was able to, to deal with the magnitude of my sins. And as I visualized the Lord's hand stretched out on the cross, they seemed to be welcoming me. And the Lord was saying, I am waiting here to receive you. Realizing the effectiveness of Christ's blood in cleansing my sins and being overwhelmed by such love, I accepted him right there. Previously, I had laughed at people who had accepted Jesus. But that evening, the experience became real for me, and I wept and confessed my sins, seeking the Lord's forgiveness. As I made my first prayer, I knew joy and peace such as I had never known before. Light seemed to flood the room, and I said to the Lord, O Lord, you have indeed been gracious to me. Jesus' death gives us life. 
It gives us victory. We, when we receive that, put to death the deeds of the flesh and continue in that life. And the Spirit of God leads us in victory every time. Say every time. Every time we follow Him. Every time we follow Him. He gives us victory. Not some of the time. Not part of the time. Not every once in a while. But every time. The key to victory is claiming your victory right now. That I am victorious. And not letting someone come in and make a fraudulent claim on your life. You are not defeated. If you are a child of God, you are victorious. And you have the Spirit of God living within you. And if you want to continue to walk in that victory, it's as simple as submitting and listening to the Spirit of God that He has already given to you. Life comes through death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much that You are able and more than willing to not just give us salvation for our souls, to not just cause us to to become children of the Most High God, but that you give us as your children the, the power through your Holy Spirit to walk in victory every day. Teach us who we are. Remind us who we are often. And may we be faithful to simply trust you and to give our lives to you. May we never compromise who you are. May we become mighty men and women who stand to claim what Paul claimed, that Christ is the Son of God, and there is salvation in no other name except His. May people know us for the love we have for one another and give glory to You. May they worship Jesus because as we love them and they ask why we're so different, our actions become words. And we tell them about your good news of Jesus. Bring souls to faith, Lord. That's why we're here. Bring victory to our lives and bring victory to our neighbors. Bring peace to this world. May your kingdom come and your will be done in New York and in our hearts as it is in heaven. Amen.